Guitar Villains is brought to you by American Musical Supply. Just visit AmericanMusical.com for your unique coupon code. This is just for listeners of Guitar Villains. Anything you need, whether it's picks, guitar strings, cables, a capo, all those small little accessories, all the way up to the big stuff like a new guitar, an amp, all the gear you could ever want is at American Musical Supply. They also have no interest financing, so you can play now, pay later. Use the link in the description for your coupon code to use on your next gear purchase. Thanks to American Musical Supply for sponsoring Guitar Villains. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to episode four of season two of Guitar Villains. We have somebody very special, somebody who has been highly requested, maybe the most perfect guitar villain yet, Paul Gilbert. And I've taken so much influence from Paul in my guitar playing life, particularly his alternate picking patterns. I just have infused certain stylings into my playing and I'm very grateful for him to have existed to put that out into the ether for me to adapt into my musicianship. We get into a lot of different things. Notably, Paul has his guitar in his hands pretty much the whole episode. He plays a ton. Normally, I don't ask guests to play, but he had his guitar ready to go. As you guys know, he's super fun and very energetic and ready to talk about everything under the sun. We talk about his new album, his favorite gear, the history of music. He's like a jukebox of songs and maybe a little bit of a Paul Gilbert rant. So without further ado, let's get into it. Guitar Villains, Paul Gilbert. Welcome to Guitar Villains, the show where we deconstruct and decode the guitar. And Paul, my wife had a great time. I think you may have been playing that guitar, one similar, uh, at your NAM performance, the the last winter NAM. You you had a purple suit and that guitar, and she wanted me to let you know that she really enjoyed that show. Obviously, I did too. Goes without saying, but. She really enjoyed it, and she's like a 90s, thousands girl. To reach that, like, Avril Lavigne, Paramore, Blink-182, Taylor Swift demographic, I think is high praise for you. Right on. Well, we'll tell her thank you very much. And uh, now, Avril Lavigne, I've heard a little bit of Paramore, and, and I got a good impression from them. Are they Canadian? I am going to have to get IT on that one. <laughs> I, 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 the, re- the reason I'm saying this is because I want to play a Katie Lang song right now, and that would be a tie-in, because I know Avril Lavigne is Canadian. The Canadian band, let me play some Katie Lang. One, two, three, four. Oh, no, it's in E. So. I can feel... Oh, 
trouble. With luck in my eye. Oh, I love that song. And um, anyway, that's what I'm into lately. Like le learning all the vocal melodies that I that I heard up until now. Yeah, I, I've seen you play. Uh rattle off songs like a jukebox i know that's one of your many talents uh i envy that i i need to i know a lot of songs like if i'm playing the song where you turn on the radio name the artist i'm pretty quick with that um but knowing the songs especially the melodies that's that's really key i admire that about you well, the guitars you know the things that we learn as guitar players you know, we learn things where the first finger gets to stay in the same place the whole time mm. you know and our first finger get, just gets to kind of forget it's just like, stay there, don't ever move anywhere except that fret, and you'll be okay. And you can play, you know. You know, you can do a pretty good rambling man with the first finger in one spot. But then if you get the melody, you know, I've never played the melody before. Let's see if I can, it would be the one, two, three, four, five. It's a fifth. So. And the fact that I could do that first take <laughs> is is the is like that. That's what you get when you start learning melody because they the vocalists use the same licks. Yeah, yeah they go yeah. like, oh, that's that lick from some kind of wonderful, and from you know. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, you know, and, they, and just like guitar, we, you know, you hear somebody play, you know, and you go, like, oh, I know what that is, because that's that Ace Freely solo, and that's the Joe Perry solo, and the the guy in a heart played that, so and Ted Nugent, so you, you know, you everybody uses the same vocabulary, right? But as you know, the but the first time you try to play a vocal line on guitar, it's horrible because like everything you know is wrong, and and it, it's it, it you know. The, a lot of you need to slide into things, and and so you hit the wrong note first, and you slide into the right one, and you're not used to hitting the wrong one. So it's um, you know, it's it, it's really the learning curve. But once you get into it, it, it starts to be there's this common language, and uh, a lot of it, like the first step, I would say, if you learn the bass part to obla di obla da. <laughs> It's just all over the place. You got F, back to B flat, E flat, and that move is you're playing the root. You slide up to your third, and that slide is everything. Like all the cool singers slide into their thirds, mm -hmm. and so you got to whether you bend it or slide it, you know, with your with, with a slide or your finger, you got to get be able to find that stuff. And 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 that's that's the and really all the best blues guitar players do that anyway. But a lot of people, you know, have you have this thing like, oh, I don't like blues too. It's too whatever. So I'm only going to play scales. And it's really hard to you know to find if you just learn obli obli da baseline and play like, like three times, you, you, you'll 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 be so much forward you won't believe it. Good advice. The coffee's kicking in. Woohoo! <laughs> no, this is great. Uh, this is the most I've learned in the intro of this podcast yet. So. I'm I'm glad well, you. Uh, whole, well, the, the thing is, like, I have a lot of hearing loss. When you talk to a person who has hearing loss, all they do is talk because they're scared <laughs> to listen because they know they can't hear. Well, well this <laughs> is a good forum for that. So you're you're in the right place. Uh, so yeah. the the show. I've got, ball, I've got you on a fader. So whenever you talk, I can crank you way up. Oh, beautiful, great. Uh, so the show is called Guitar Villains because I think villains are cooler than heroes. 
And I've always found the characters are deeper, more memorable. And I want to ask you, out of all the movie or comic book supervillains out there, would you say you identify with any of them? It doesn't have to be their evil ways. It can be, you know, some of the parallel because villains and heroes they have a lot of parallels aside from you know their devious plots versus protecting the earth. So, is there anybody that you particularly identify with, whether it's purely image or? Well, my son watches. He was watching Batman Lego Batman the other night. Oh, okay. And I was surprised because I, th- I thought a Lego version is going to be lame. Oh no, the Lego's it, great. It was really funny. Like it was, it was to me. It was I've enjoyed it way more than the regular Batman. Yeah, and uh, and the, the 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 dialogue with the Joker. I'm, I'm actually the Joker to me kind of grosses me out a little bit. Like it's, uh-huh. it's just a lot of makeup right. on the real one, and you know, makeup too much makeup on anybody is just sort of. Eh. Um, but but anyway, he was Lego Joker, and like nobody was would be. He was trying to scare people and be a, be a bad guy. And everybody was like, eh, Batman's coming. I'm not worried about you. And then finally, when Batman did come, Batman's like, you're not really my, my, my worst enemy you know, at all. You know? and, and the Joker was like really getting upset because nobody was getting scared enough or worried enough about him. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, he was losing his, his mojo. Well, you, you definitely have the right guitar for the Joker. I didn't even think about that. We've had a couple jokers on this podcast already. Um, I'm not going to go there because I, I have my thoughts for you. I think, now stay with me here, Mecha Godzilla. Because the thing about Mecha Godzilla is that he has all the powers of Godzilla, but he has some special characteristics from other monsters too, like his feet which resemble Ghidorah's, and the metal drill on the tip of his tail, which is obviously an apex modification. And bringing this into the guitar world, this is a lot like you. At your core, I think you're an absolute beast of a guitarist, and you've made the most of awesome influences, like Jimmy Page, Eddie Van Halen, Yngwie Malmsteen, Gary Moore. But you've got your own special appointments that kind of make you perhaps the most unstoppable force in the universe with your unbelievable alternate picking legato combinations, your sense of melody across multiple octaves. Uh, and most importantly, in my opinion, uh, rhythmic pocket and attention to tone and feeling. So you're pretty scary in the coolest way, just like Mechagodzilla. You, you've also made countless uh, fine people of Japan scream at you in awe. Uh, and I think you're a pretty tall guy and Mecha Godzilla is freaking tall. So that's what I, that's what I think. You're, you're a super villain. Well, I'll, I'll take that. Well, you thought that through and I'll, I'll, I'll accept that compliment. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm not nearly as familiar with Mecha Godzilla, although I like, I like the name. I mean, Godzilla on its own is good. You add a mega, a mega or a mecha to it. That sounds even better. Um, the, the only other one that comes to mind and I don't really know why other than like maybe it's a Japanese thing, is, is there um, There was a show called Captain Ultra that I don't think it was ever played. I mean, like Ultraman, when I was a kid, Ultraman would be played in America with English subtitles, originally a Japanese show. But I, I, I never saw Captain Ultra until I actually lived in Japan and saw some reruns for it there. And uh, the, the villains kind of looked like people dressed up in a broccoli suit. And you know, I, I, it, it was it was all in Japanese, so I really couldn't understand what was what was going on. But there was like the the, the characters were were 
kind of like prototypical lost in space, like a, you know, a handsome captain and kind of a hot female sidekick. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe another, like there was a Robin to his Batman kind of a sidekick guy. And then kind of like a weird alien creature, but they was friendly and they would ba- battle the, the alien broccoli creatures. <laughs> and they won, and they won, you know, they were the good guys. They won. And that was the end of the episode. And I thought, well, what's going to happen next? The next episode, and the it was just the same thing. They, they the aliens were always the same, and that surprised me because usually, you know, Star Trek or something, you know, you get a different alien every episode. Yeah. But in Captain Ultra, the alien was always the the alien broccoli suit people, and uh, I, don't, I don't I don't really know that that it doesn't answer the question at all. But that's what came to my head, so I said. No, I get it. It's also maybe it's like a I, Japanese. The reason I said that was just because I, I, I wanted to introduce people to Captain Ultra. I, I thought, I, uh, you know, rather than just talking about something people already know about, why not introduce something? I imagine most people have not seen Captain Ultra and and the people in the Alien Broccoli Marauders. Yeah, shout out Captain Ultra. Check it out. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody will be able to find it. So, uh, first things first, Paul, I have a couple softball lobs for you. I call this segment Burning Questions. These are rapid-fire questions. They don't totally matter. What gauge pick do you use? Ah, there we go. It's, uh, <laughs> this one's all worn out. It's a, a point, sorry, I'm being slow. 0.50 millimeter. Grab one out of the, out of the bag. I've got it handwritten. There we go. I don't know if that's showing. Is that showing up? I can see it. And 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 regardless of what it says, the proof is in the. Oh. It, I'm, I'm not going to top that. It's about the best pick scratch I will ever do. Thank you, 0.50 millimeter Tortex. The great thing about that pick scratch is I heard it in the analog world too. Sometimes you just hear the 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 uh, recording of a pick scratch, but I got both blended perfectly. Yeah. All right. Next question. What is your number one guitar right now? Right now. <laughs> I can't find it. <laughs> it's buried under the guitars. <laughs> I, I got this on Reverb for like four hundred bucks. Maybe it was you know, with shipping. It was a little more. It's a uh, it's an Ibanez uh, Roadstar RS five twenty five. I didn't even know. I'd never seen it before, but I've, I've been researching the, the older ones. It's it's a, just a purple and pink finish. Is awesome, and it, it's really it, I, when I it's it's not a guitar that feels like oh this is a Cadillac well built. I mean everything I mean is great, but. Um, you know, like my my fireman feels like a, a, a way higher quality instrument. Um, but there's something about this. It's, the tone is great. I, mean, I put the Marzios in. It's got a Fred and a Super Two. But I, I, you know what I think I, I like about it is 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 the things that that I kind of like fix myself because I'm just proud that I could repair it. Yeah. And one is I, I I rewired it to have just a single volume knob. So these two are dead. And this was a hole because I, I I didn't want the volume knob here because I can't get to it and it gets in the way. So I took some double-sided tape 
and I just taped on this knob, which is connected to nothing. <laughs> but it looks cool. Cool. And it this does. this knob is the volume, and this one does nothing. And then I got a switch that works. And uh, you know, I got the soldering gun and soldered it myself. And the other thing is, is if you if you get a hat that's a little bit too big, you can get. This one is too big, and, I, and you put these these foam things. Maybe this one fit. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that one must have fit good. They, they sent me these foam things, and it's like a little foam with adhesive on the back. And yeah, it looks looks like, like little. And and you could I cut it up and put it like right under the under the whammy bar cavity, so it doesn't go clonk 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 anymore. Oh, good idea. Yeah. And uh, and I put on the locking tuners myself. I didn't do a very good job. There's like you have to measure for the little thing that, that, that keeps it from rotating. Mm -hmm. And I, I got it close enough, but, it, it, it you know, I didn't drill that well. So the, the only thing that's holding them in there is just that it's screwed on tight. But even with, even with that flaw and, and the fact that, you know, it used to have a locking nut. <laughs> It's still, I mean, if I set it up in advance, it tends it tends to stay in tune pretty well, and it sounds good. It just looks good. You know, it looks good on Skype. It looks awesome. I honestly, I thought it was like a JS when you when you brought it out, and then I saw the the headstock. So you, you you're kind of into vintage Ibanez right now. Is that your Ibanez? I, I put my my slide magnet, you know, get the uh, got that on there, so I, I can do uh, some Mister Big, you know. <laughs> like it because i kind of saved it mm -hmm. or like when, when when i pulled it out of the box you know the, the, it had black pickups which didn't look that good the the, the, wham, the you know the, the whammy wouldn't stay in tune so i, I, I just like it because i fixed it oh no <laughs> I, the guitars were good out of the box i didn't have to do do anything i look at every repair i've made around my house and i'm just like yeah i did that and it's just yeah. that much sweeter i get it all right uh moving on to these not so rapid fire questions, but they're they're still good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what gauge strings I do, do you really like? Slow. No, it's fine. Well, I like it this way too. What gauge strings do you use? Uh, eight to thirty eight. Oh, right which on. Is, which is pretty important. Uh, I don't. I never want to fear the bend. Mm. Uh, and it's funny. Like I put on a set of nines, and I can tell that you know it's okay. <laughs> I can I can bend on nines. I can even bend on tens or elevens, but I can just tell that that like my time is running out. Oh. You know that 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 I'm I'm going to be able to bend, but maybe not on the next song. I mean, you know, so I start to worry a little bit. I don't want to worry. I want to just like be able to bend, and that can just last as as long as I ever want. And the other thing is, I'm like really high action, 
Because for, for slide playing... You know, you, you want high action for that. But usually when people think about slide, they're like, oh, I got to put 13s on. Yeah. And the, the, actually, the, the strings don't, don't really need to be thick. You just have to have high action. That's good for bending, too, because you can get a grip on it better. So um, the only thing, you know, high action is not great for, like, for strumming bar chords. But I never do that anymore, so it, it's that's all right. And uh, the uh, and I guess if you you know having to do like fast legato all day, but you know because it's eights. You know it, it, it works. Not it's, it's still all right. Awesome. What is your current number one amp? Current number one amp is uh, I'm using a Marshall JT. Yeah, JTM one. It's a one watt amp. Excuse me. I, I use it in the studio a bunch, and uh, I just run it clean, and then run pedals into it. The other one, I've, I've got a, I've got a Princeton reverb sitting here because my my Marshalls are in the studio, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's similar. I just run it real clean and quiet, and uh, you know this this amp that's sitting next to me. I've just got it mic'd up and into a mixer. <laughs> Sounds good. Final, final question on that note. What is your favorite pedal right now? It's a, a combination of the, the, the JHS PG-14, my signature pedal, and the, uh, there we go, and a uh, TC Electronic Mojo Mojo. I have both I of those. Sort, They're I both sort of great. run those together and, and you know, have one boost the other, and, and then that's, that's enough to get me... <laughs> If I can do that, I'm all good. <laughs> That's a good tone test there. All right, we're going to move on. I want to play a little game I call Name Those Notes. I'll play you a quick sequence of guitar notes that you have recorded over the years. And you have to tell me what song these notes come from. I'll do my best. Okay, so we'll start with something easy that I think you'll get, and then we'll get progressively harder. Here are the first notes. I think that's technical difficulties. Something like that. It's exactly what it is. Racer X. This is the first piece of music I ever heard from you, actually, and... uh, it's what I would call Paul Gilbert stage one. And we're going to get into the many stages of your musicianship because I, I really love how your style has evolved. And uh, regarding this song, however, what does it mean to you now? It's sort of like a cult classic among guitar players. I don't know if you know that or care, but uh, w- w- what is your relationship with this song now? It's been like 22 years, I think. Well, I remember writing it just like in the hallway of um, of the studio. We were in Fantasy Studios in in, in San Francisco or Berkeley, actually, uh, or Emeryville. <laughs> and uh, you know, back in those days, everything you did in the studio took a long time because it was before computers. So you know, the, the engineer would have to like go through and fix every snare drum by hand mm. and, and make it sound like an explosion because that was the, what you had to do back then. And so I, I was didn't want to bug anybody, so I was just in the hallway, you know, without an amp, 
And I remember coming up with that thing. And then um, at the time, I, I was I was really excited that I could pick fast mm-hmm. because the I played guitar. I started when I was around, around nine, and you know, as as my playing developed, I started to make I started to be able to play some some faster things, but they were all like left hand driven. And whenever I would try to pick fast, it, it was just was a mess. I couldn't sync it up to anything. The tone was bad. And I, I finally just sort of gave up. I was like, ah, it's, it's, I'll just be a legato, you know, I, I can do the Van Halen snarly dog, you know. Yeah, that kind of just making my reverb zone. Um, yeah, um, I, I could get that sort of thing to happen, or the, or the tapping stuff. I was doing. <laughs> You know, <laughs> my apologies, but I, I had those things t- together a bit. But the picking, I just couldn't do it. And uh, I think it was it was finally I, I was playing Electric Guy, the Just Priest song, in my in my cover band, and so it had that. And it had that one little bit that put it up, and and I could barely struggle that thing out, but I did pick everything. Uh, I was I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I really had given up, and and I, I was holding the pickle weird at the time, and it was, as you know, the tone wasn't great, but it was, it was sort of for the first time I could kind of reach the pedals of, of picking. Yeah. And then uh, I got out to LA and there was, there was a, a, a kid that, um, when I was in the spotlight column, people used to send me letters. You had to print your address in there. And there was one guy from California, uh, who he was nice enough to like find me a place to a couch to sleep on for a week until I found an apartment. And, uh, he showed me this, this, that, that, you know, the, the lick from the instructional video that I ended up making the, you know, with it. That that thing, and so and that worked. I couldn't believe because he he played it. I was like, man, what is that? That sounds amazing. And he said, "Oh, it's an Miolo lick," and he showed it to me. And I never expected that I'd be able to do it, but somehow it was it was like the right time in my development to be fed that lick, and and I digested it, and it worked. And so I was so excited about it because again, I had just given up hope, and also like, I'm done. That's me. Look at my hands go. So I was. Uh, that's all I would do, like for for for, for that whole year at GIT. I just sit there and and I I, I rarely played through an amp because I was always at at school, like sitting in the back of the class. You know, the, the guy in front would be some jazz walking line. I'd be back there, annoying everybody. And uh, finally, I, pl- I plugged it into an amp, and it, and it sounded terrible. And I and I finally got this. Um, Lee Jackson mod that had like a weird compression to it, but it worked with my technique of picking too hard. So that was like, you know, I found a solution. This, this one really arcane piece of gear worked with my like aggressive picking technique. And, uh, and, you know, <laughs> but that's kind of all it was good for. Like you know, anything else. Um, and actually I, I shouldn't say that. I still hear the intro of heart of a lion. I can't believe how awesome the tone is. Um, but anyway, the, the, that the things that were based on that lick, I just ex- really explored it for a couple of years, and that was technical difficulties was kind of the like a 
you know, just a, a culmination song where you could do all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really funny that you, um, you brought up that lick because I prepared just a little passage with this pedal. I was going to save it for a different part of our conversation, but it feels appropriate right now. Listen to this. And this is this is uh, the pedal I use. I use your pedal. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. But that lick is also something that I was the one of the first things I found from you. And I remember, I, I don't know where it was that you said I hate that lick now or something along those lines. But it was like, yeah, I taught everyone this lick, and oh shit, now now I don't want everyone to know this lick because actually can you explain like, yeah, you don't have to like go as deep as you went in previous conversations, but like just overview because you're literally playing it in the exact same. I think it's the ninth fret. Um, what, what's up with that? Here's what happened with the lick is, is it's, it's a great lick for instructional videos. It's a great lick for technical difficulties, but besides that, it's pretty limited use. Yes. You know, it's, it's like, it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, you ever see one of those like trees of evolution and you, you got the main trunk and then it branches up and it's sort of like, you know, you end with the true and then it doesn't go any, doesn't evolve further. I don't know. It's like, it's like a branch of evolution. And then I kind of felt like that's as far as that can go there and just can't do anything else with it. So I'm going to come back to the main trunk and then keep trying to go up. That's a weird <laughs> metaphor. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I get it. <laughs> And, and also the, the other thing is because I teach so much, I mean, that's, that, that's like a mirror held up because, you know, the students will come in and they'll play stuff and I'll, I'll kind of see what, what they're doing with it. And it's a hard, it's a difficult lick to make music with. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just such a limited application. It's like if you got a toolbox and you find yourself like, man, I'm using the Phillips head screwdriver all the time. Like it's just every day is Phillips head. And then I get this one weird shaped Allen wrench it's really good for the opening up this one thing, but besides that, I just never use it. And if I try to use it, it doesn't work. And then, uh, so that's that's what it's like. It's it's really good for that one thing, but be, besides that, uh, mo- most other jobs, it's the wrong tool for for the job. I got you. Makes sense to me. All right, here's it. Let me give you. That, but I did. You know, the thing I should say is, you know, I, I didn't really like that answer. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to, t- I didn't want to give people the bad news of like, oh, you spent 10 years working on this and it's just was, you know, might as well just flush that time down the toilet. So what, what I started to do is try to figure out what can we do? There must be something good. And so the, the first thing is that if, if you're in a minor key, if you're in E minor, there's kind of two spots where that, where your fingers don't have to change and you can use that lick. One is the, where the top note is the root. Now it's it's so fast that you're not really doing a lot of melodic emphasis anyway. Mm-hmm. But the um, that minor six is can be a troublesome note. If you're playing Crazy Train, it's great because Crazy Train's got that or Operation Mind Crime. You know, those have the minor six, so that's all right. But often, if you're playing like ACDC or something, you know, it's, it, it has the, more of the Dorian blues flavor, and it has a major sixth. And, and so the, the, the solution there, if you don't want to change your fingering, so you're back in E minor, tune up your ear. 
is um, move it down where, where B is the top note. And then you've got the fifth, the fourth, the third, and the ninth. And in general, the, the top note is the one that gets the emphasis. And so here you're emphasizing the fifth. And then that tends to be a better choice of notes, just melodically. So that, so that that that's solution number one. Solution number two is rhythmically uh, try to find things in it that, that instead of being sixteen note triplets, which it kind of lends itself to that, you know, whether you whether it's you know, picked or not, but then try to make some sixteenth note patterns with it. So like I've been doing this a lot with my students, like where I'll do like uh, that's the thing where it's more of a sixteenth, like one, or you know, one two three four, one two three four, one two three four. Uh, think of one that I was doing lately. Uh, and you've got to do like a big jump down into the lower strand. And that's that, that's kind of a. Just rhythmically, a, a different way to look at it, and, and making different patterns, so it's not just the same thing up and down. It's less exercisey. Let's try to kind of like, you know, insert some music and, and pull the exercise exerciseiness out of it. I, I definitely appreciate the the music the musical side of making exercises feel less like exercises. And uh, one other thing that I discovered uh, from that particular exercise was changing the intervals. <laughs> Where can I apply this to different parts of a scale and things like that? So thanks for that. Thanks for putting it out there. You're welcome. I have another batch of notes for you to guess what they are. Okay, here we go. I need that again. Oh, that's, uh, that's I am Satan, I think. Yes, it is. <laughs> I can't remember, that was what I, I, on that album, I tuned everything down a whole step, so I remember it being in D, but it probably sounds like it's in C. I was like, yeah, that's, uh, I remember I used a Frampton chord. Yeah. So it was like, hey, Judy, can you remember how we met? You say you'll never forget, you didn't love me. And I love you too. I wondered now. Here's I've never played that on the melody. It's my melody test. If I know it in my head, can I get it out the first take? So one, two, three. That's the root and the fifth. Up the end. Anyway, we got most of it. 
Yeah. That, look, it, it actually helped to it helped not to look. I was wondering if there were like uh, tabs up there or something. You're like, oh, that's it. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, I think I'm thinking intervals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, this is easily one of my. Uh, this might be an interesting take, uh, but this is like one of my favorite songs of yours, and it's sort of like if the Beatles and of Montreal had a baby, and then that baby got really into rush but still wanted to preserve its pop songwriting sensibilities that's like well, that's, that's, song. A, that's a co-write with with linus of hollywood oh okay who's a, who's a songwriting genius I, I i love i love linus's writing he 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 also he like saved a mr big album um <laughs> the, the one what was the the, the the like the reunion one we did what if which what is, if? i really the album i really like and we had a bunch of like riff rock, and, and Linus came in and wrote a bunch of choruses, and, and like made the made the riff rock into songs. Yeah, it's it's great, and your voice is just really really nice on that. I like I like your voice um, in that iteration and in the uh, the iteration of everybody use your blinkers. Um, that's that's also <laughs> the more gnarly rock and roll sound. Everybody use your goddamn. It's so good Turn to know signals. Yeah, that's great. Was that inspired by anything, by the way? <laughs> Is what what? Did you get cut off? Is that why you wrote that song? I, well, I used to live in the Hollywood, like at the very beginning of the Hollywood Hills, and every all the tourists were trying to find the Hollywood sign, oh. and they would just park. And and they were like looking. This is sort of a little bit pre GPS, so people I don't know still had a map or something. And people would just stop on the street and, and they wouldn't have the, you know, it's like, are they going to park or what are they? I wouldn't know what they were going to do. And so it's like, is it safe to go around them? And it was like every day coming, I would be coming home to my house and there'd be people, you know, trying to find the Hollywood sign. They just, you know, they'd be in the middle of the street, not, not moving or moving real slow. And so it was, you know, basically LA traffic, but especially Hollywood Hills uh, sign finders. I got you. Makes sense. All right. Next. And it's just, it's fun. I, I'm hoping that I, I get some credit in inventoring, in, in, in inventoring, in, in inventing a, a new style of music called cantankerous rock. That might be the most cantankerous rock song of all. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it. You've invented a new genre. Uh, the, the atmosphere and the moon are pretty cantankerous. It's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so annoyed at young people that I'm, I, I want to just leave the planet. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll let you expand on that in a minute. Let's uh let's get to another group of notes. And we're getting a little bit more difficult and ob- obscure, but I think you'll still be all right. Here we go. Well, it must be one of those Japan solos. That's exactly uh, what it is. I don't, I don't know which <laughs> it's one. not even a song. It's just a, a moment. Somebody showed me that look. I can't. Remember. It wasn't. I didn't invent that one. Like I was. It. It might have been. Kurt James might have showed that to me. Shout out to Kurt James. Yeah, he was. Um, I think like right after Ingve left Steeler. Kurt might have been in Steeler for a while. Uh he was in Black Sheep after I or even before or after I was in it. I can't remember. He was a really good guitar player, but real real um nice combination of like Hendrix kind of stuff and uh and Ingve. Real real uh 
real, real good instincts. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, I don't think he was like really uh, methodical or wasn't this, wasn't that like a metronome guy. He was just like sat down and well, I can do this. And, and you know, he, he was he actually kind of got me back into Hendrix too because as as much of a Ingve guy as he was. Um, he gave me a cassette of him doing all Hendrix songs, and he was doing the third song from the Sun. And he he was always like had some old Strat with whammy. And I and I you know when I heard him do it, suddenly all the guitar parts kind of made sense to me. And he sounded killer, but he, and he used to do stuff like light his guitar on fire, and so I, I, I was I, I hung out with Kurt a lot, and I think I think he was the one that showed me. I think I stole that from him. If it wasn't him, I stole it from somebody. Well, you definitely made it your own. It sounds uh, it, it weaves perfectly into the rest of that performance, that ten-minute guitar solo in Tokyo. All right, got one more group of notes for you here. This may bring us into the present. Who knows? Oh, that's uh, probably from the JHS thing where we're doing a run with the devil. Yes, it is. And man, that, that was challenging. I mean, to, to, to learn the, I mean, the, the JHS guys were, were great, but just to play David Lee Roth on your guitar, the, uh, the one I've been trying to get lately is, and this is actually an easy one, but it, but it reminds me of David Lee Roth because Van Halen used to cover Last Child, the uh, Aerosmith song, you know. Oh, and this stuff that I mean, when Stephen Taylor sings that, it's really more like a guitar line. And the guitar solo is just killer. Joe Perry. I learned the rock. There's a Joe Perry riff called I Got the Rock and Rolls Again. I was learning that the other day. I love the, it's uh, anyway. My my apologies. I get on these, these. I get on these tangents. No, no, you don't. I love it. It is slide. It's. I mean, I haven't always associated you with slide, but it's definitely something you've brought to the forefront over the past at least couple of years, if not longer. Is that a, a conscious effort? And I I want to use this to, as a bridge to kind of talk about your arc because I think you started as you know, obviously you were doing a lot of the shrapnel style stuff in the, in the early, earlier eighties uh, or late eighties, whatever. Um, and then slowly it's mutated over the years as I followed, like I was going through your discography and, and kind of checking out not only your playing, but also your tone. And it's kind of mutated from this metal sound 
very, very in your face, very articulate into this warmer, for lack of a better word, like this rock feel that kind of went from like, I would say starting with Ingve, Vinnie Moore, that, that mold into Jimmy Page, Jimmy Hendrix style. Um, obviously it's Paul Gilbert on top of all that, but I'm just trying to draw comparisons. Is this something that has been organic and, or is it something that you've done intentionally? What, what would you say to my assessment of your growth? Well, I think one of the things that, that made it happen was, was this little practice amp that I, that I had on the road. It was an orange, uh, squeezer i can't remember the name of it but it's about this big it looks cool little orange amp you know run nine volt battery amp and i, I bought it right at the beginning of a, of a i think it was a mr big tour and it, as it looks really cool but it doesn't sound great no amp that's that big sounds any good so it's not i'm not blaming orange you know you could all the amps that big are kind of you know not not so great but um what but it was you know, you could hear it. At least I could hear my notes. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that all the, a lot of this like real precise picking stuff that I would, that I was known for wouldn't work with that amp. It was like the opposite of that Lee Jackson mod where suddenly all my picking worked. You know, this was like the, the picking killer. I, I tried just like everything I did with fast picking sounded bad. Um, but if I played Mississippi Queen by Leslie West or Mountain, that sounded pretty good through that little amp. So if I just went like... playing about that speed mm-hmm. and with that style that sounded great through that little amp and so i think like as time i, I just like started aiming towards that and at the same time when we're doing the tour you know we we, we weren't we're not like famous enough to have our own amps so you know we every every, every uh, especially like doing um what do you call it uh festivals you know you do a fly-in festival you sweden rock and you know to 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 ship your amps to sweden you know, you're not, you're going to spend all your money on shipping and not make any money. So, so <laughs> you, you rent backline and you get like, you know, some JCM 900 that's the tubes were, you know, there's still the original tubes and every motorhead tour in the world has rented those. And, you know, so the, the thing's barely working. So, um, you know, I, I was playing through amps that sounded like a big version of the orange amp, just like, oh, this, everything I play through this is horrible, except if I play. <laughs> like somehow that that will, will, will that will work that will, like no matter how crappy the amp is that lick will still sound good and and i started to realize like even when i get my good amp where everything does work that lick still is better yeah, <laughs> yeah like, i get what you mean so it was just like finding and it could and at the same time like my hearing was getting worse and i think i started to just like really crave clarity and so sometimes if I, even if everything's perfect and the planets are aligned, I've got the ultimate amp and the right pedals. And even if I'm playing it perfect, it's still like, man, all the fast stuff is just sort of blurry because of my, my hearing is, you know, I can't hear above 1K. 
And it's funny you talk about my, my sound being warmer. It's like, well, first of all, I can't tell. You know, <laughs> I, I can take I can take the treble knob on my mixer and all the way down, all the way up. I can't tell the difference. Um, but I can hear low frequencies really well. So like my my sandbox is like one k and below. So and and I, I mean I get a sense of treble, but it's 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 more guesswork. It's more like you know Stevie Wonder deciding what suit he's going to wear. It's like who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm saying just 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 trying to be able to hear myself. And also when I play live, a lot of times I just wear earplugs, and so a lot of the faster stuff I just can't hear it. And people ask me like, you know, why don't you use 24 frets? It's like. I can't hear those high notes. They're gone. You know, so, so I, I, I tend to like, you know, but if I'm, if, like, you know, for the slide, if I play, you know, you know, I can still make that out. Like that, that, that registers. And, and, and I think um, the, the, I can also hear, I can hear like variation in pitch really well. So, so things like vibrato become important to me, but like texture kind of things, I don't, and, and I remember texture being really important. Like I remember, especially for like uh, Jugga Jugga kind of stuff, you know, I guess it's called Gent now, or, you know, if you're, you know, I mean, I, I, I used to love that texture much more than I do now. Like there was a band called Loudness from Japan and they had, uh, it's, it's a little hard. I don't know if it's even on Spotify. They're now called Disillusions. If you can find Disillusions by Loudness, man, awesome guitar playing and tones. And he's got uh, the opening track, Crazy Doctor. Like, oh, dude, dude. And it's, it's, it's where it got like into the night. It was, it's just like metal such good metal on that record and uh but but that that's me I, I don't hear i know there's beauty in there i can still kind of feel it but i, I don't have the equipment to, to live to hear that with the same accuracy as i did when i was younger so now if i hear like you know like like so, somehow like the, the vibrato you know what it is too is like it, it seems like when i when i watch the people that play my stuff like the other the other day, um, I had a new single called "Argument About Pie," and, I, and there was a guy who posted his performances of it on YouTube, and I was curious because the comments were really good, so I, I turned it on, and uh, he he nailed the shred stuff, perfect. I and mean, I was kind of I was pretty impressed, you know, because he got you know a lot of it's like kind of tricky fingerings, mm -hmm. and he got like note for note perfect. The tone was great, you know, it was just like man, you know, he's got it. And then the melody came up. You know? And that's where I got to feel like I've, I'm, you know, oh, I've still got something going on. <laughs> it's all right. You got the notes, you know, but the, but the expressive stuff is, it's just a lot more personal. It's like, like your own, your own fingerprint. You know, everybody hears the, hears their vibrato a different way. And it's, a, it's a little harder to follow me into that part of the forest. You know, I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little harder to track. So, you know, I almost feel like, like, um, you know, some of the, the technical stuff, like a robot is always going to win. Yeah. Cause, cause anyway, you get, you get a lot of sameness, like the, the notes are the same, the same tone and they're the same, uh, 
length, you know, it's like 16th notes, so they're, they're, there's no long and short. It's all the, it's all the same length and uh, maybe the same, uh, you know, same, same length, same picking attack, same tone. But when you get into melodies, it's all this contrast. You know, some notes are short, some notes are long, some notes are muted, some notes sustained. Uh, the, the, the length of the rhythms and the dynamics change. Much harder for a computer to beat you there. So, you know, the, the, when I, if I play a melody, I feel like I'm a human being and I still got a chance. When I play fast, I feel like the robot might still beat me. Yeah, I, I've talked, I've had the privilege to talk to many, many really great guitar players. And the one common ground I've found is vibrato and intonation. It's just the thing that's overlooked most, especially by players starting out. Like you look at the the attractive shiny shred thing, if you want to call it that, just group it into that box. But really, anything that appears impressive, as, as opposed to sounds impressive, I think an, an amazing bend that's always going to hit me a lot harder and is a better measure of a guitar player's skill than how quick they can do something. Uh, and that you know. I'm not that old, <laughs> but I have been playing for a while. And like, I, I feel like I'm that, that, that sort of generational, uh, difference between, you know, call it gent or whatever you want to say, where there's flashy, uh, shred stuff. And then there's feeling and emotion. I don't think those two are separated. I just think on the surface, maybe social media perpetuates, people to pay attention to that faster stuff a lot more than if a guy were to post an uh, amazing solo that consists of seven notes and they're all beautifully, perfectly bent and intonated. Um, I don't know if there's a solution there, but it's just like, a, I feel like I'm in a club. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think electric guitar, it's, it's hard to do that. I mean, I, I, I can make it easy. I come to my online school and I, I, I know how to teach that stuff. Yeah. But uh, for a lot of people, they have a hard time finding. You know, a lot of it has to do with hand position, and it, it, and and just and just like what part of the finger is touching the string is, is actually a huge deal. Um, but I, I had an interesting thing happen. I had this this, um, this one uh, student, and they uh, they, they were tr- playing technical difficulties, trying to you know do the stuff. And I'm showing them the vibrato stuff, and it's okay. And then. Uh, they, they knew I was into melodies, so they decided they were going to play a melody, and they used the whammy bar for vibrato, kind of like surf. Yeah, you know. So it was, you know, it was, I got to get a bit of whammy a guitar. Like you know, so so basically, it was like you know, no vibrato at all until you heard the whammy. <laughs> And and it was awesome. Like they sounded so much better doing that than they did because they're, they're, you know the hand vibrato they had, didn't have it developed yet. So when they, if they were trying to go, with, you know, it was like. Uh, but but they did the whammy. It was like just do that. That's fine. <laughs> it's like not not everybody has to play the same. But for for me growing up in the seventies, you know that was. I started playing before Van Halen came out, so I was listening to Jimmy Page doing the. And that was just like, you know, to me, that was it. That was that was the goal. Or, you know, listen to Ace Freely. The... 
or uh, what was like the, the the guitar playing heart was was awesome with it when he was doing the um, magic man stuff like that. <laughs> You know that that was just that's all you heard on the radio was all these guys with great vibrato or, or you know dream on. Or uh, uh, bad company rock steady, you know. Rock steady. And that that slow, beautiful, or Brian May, of course. You know? Or what was the Kansas one? Uh, Wayward Son. <laughs> Everybody was doing that. Was that was ubiquitous? It was just like that was part of the guitar player checklist. And then you get like up to about Metallica, and and you know it became less important. You know, the, the, there's a, there was a shift in what people were were, were digging. So with Metallica, you know, I don't know the notes, but you have more of this chug 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 chug, and that becomes the thing that everybody wants, um, and which is fine. You know, I mean, it's not all music or guitar playing has to be the same, but. Uh, you know, you, you you sort of choose your favorites, you know, and, and and to me growing up in that era, that's what my ear got used to. But it's funny, like, you know, you know how, like, if, if you've got a young kid and they do a drawing, you know, it doesn't have to be technically perfect to be cool. Right. It's better if you it's know, not if see, sometimes. If you, if you see, like, a, a four-year-old kid draw a dinosaur, you don't go like, hey, well, it's technically, you know, that's... <laughs> That that leg shouldn't be that long. That's wrong. You know, that's it, it's still it's an awesome dinosaur, and to me, some of like the early rock vibrato is kind of like that. You know, you hear like George Harrison with a song "I Got a Feeling," I got a feeling, and then the the the, the guitar line is like, you know, it's like real janky, but. It's, it's, it, to me, it, it's I wouldn't change it. It's it's it's, it's like a I and mean, he probably had a rap G string too. So it's like you got to give him, you know, back then they hadn't figured out the plain G string yet, and so you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. But there, there's things like that where where you know rock is just rock music is being born by kids that are untrained, other than you know they're all self taught and trying to figure out how to do this. And then, you know, Clapton and Hendrix and Beck come along and, and then they start playing like grown-ups. You know, it starts being like, man, the dinosaur is starting to really look like a dinosaur. And <laughs> yeah, my favorite Beatles solo that comes to mind with that uh, is Taxman, where it's like, oh, yeah. it's, it's almost like... <laughs> Yeah, that's one awesome. was McCartney. Oh, there was the one at, at the end of um, I think it's another girl. Uh, where uh, is that the one? What key did that in? Oh, I have got another girl, another girl. Another. And it's got like the the most out of control vibrato at the end. I think it's I think McCartney played the solo on it. You know, and, you, and again, like this is. Who knows what horrible string gauge he had on there? And he's, and he's a bass player. Yeah. And and 
you know, you can give him a million excuses, but it wasn't like the smooth Brian May, you know, <laughs> that, that you had, you know, later as technique evolved for vibrato. And you know, I wouldn't change it for, for anything. You know, it's, 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 it's that kind of vibrato is like, the, you know, uh, like a, like a kid dinosaur, you know, it gets the point across, you know, a lot of times even better. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, uh, a cool thing about you, like I mentioned at the top of this show, your your repertoire is just seemingly endless, and really your attention to the rhythm section and the melody uh, is is really cool to to watch you do. And it makes sense that now you have this album coming out where you play all the instruments, right? Yeah, play, playing the drums was so much fun. I'm really <laughs> jealous. Like when, whenever. Whenever I finally get this album on the road, whoever gets to play drums is going to have such a good time. Dude, the, great. The, the parts I came up with, I mean, they don't have to play the exact part, but just the, the, the way the songs are put together, it's, it's really fun to play drums in these tunes. Really great drum fills by you. Good job. I I, uh, I mean, right. I, you, I don't know how much you played drums before that, but like, it takes a lot to have a vocabulary on any, any instrument. And But I've tried my hand at drums before. I took some drum classes in college and just being able to transition between verse, section, bridge, chorus, etc., is hard enough. But then making it feel like it's cohesive—it's sort of like recording music with fake drums. It always feels like it's section after section. And uh, you, you did a really good job. I want to play this little snippet here. I got my biddle up in there, dude. The biddle bops are—they're all over the place. I love it all, and uh, I've only—you know—the two—the two singles that have come out are, are both really awesome. And uh, can you g- give a little insight as to how that recording process go? Where you—I assume there was somebody pressing record, but like, how, how did yeah, that whole thing? We had an engineer that helped a lot. Yeah, um, how did it all come together? It uh, well, a lot of it, you know, it's hard to rehearse with a whole band when it's just you. Yeah. So, so basically, no rehearsal for anything. Um, but I'd, I'd have an idea of the arrangement of the song and the melody, and so I'd, I'd go in, and the first thing we had to do is the click track, which is a little tricky because on this album, for whatever reason, I probably did more tempo and groove changes within the songs than I ever mm. have done in my in my life. Which is in a way is kind of a Black Sabbath Iron Maiden thing to do. You know, they would, you know, have the you know suddenly cut to the six eight part. Now half time, you know, they, they, they do it a lot. So, you know, for that you've got to get the click track worked out. So we we'd put sort of a rough click. I'd play along with it, and listen to it, you know, then then make an adjustment, and then it, it might take us like three hours to get the click track together. And and actually while we're doing that, I'm kind of fine tuning the arrangement because I might be listening to it back, go like ah that last chorus. You know, it doesn't need to be double length or, you know, make that, that kind of thing. So finally, when we get through the click track, I just play a rough guitar so I, I can I've got a map mm-hmm. and I go and play the drums. Usually it would take me about 10 takes. Like the first two takes, I'm, I'm just sussing out like, you know, what what's my kick drum figure? You know, what I, I, you know, I haven't played drums. I don't practice them. I don't have a kid at home. Well, now I've got a kid at home because I just it was so much fun. I finally got one. But, uh, you know, just playing the song, basically. 
And then, you know, by, by about take five, I'm starting to get it, but I'm but you know, not warmed up yet. And by take 10, I've, I've almost completely exhausted, but, I, but I'm starting to really get the song. <laughs> and so, like, then we, then we go back and listen and, and basically take, put nine, take nine and ten together and, and make a good drum track. And, uh, and then I start putting the real guitars on them. And probably one good rhythm part, um, you know, then put the melody on. And then if, they, if it needs any keys, I, I can barely, you know, my, it's a really primitive piano technique. But if it needs like a I can put one of those in. And then, uh, and then bass is always last. Because bass is tricky. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of songs I'm writing, it's, it's a lot, it's either like, um, you know, sort of beatly, like, for example, the argument about Pi, it's kind of queenish in a way, because uh, you know, you know, the, the the chord. If you take like a D seven and put the third in the bass, that's the "We Are the Champions" chord. You go, "We are the champion, my friend, and we'll get my fight to the end." We so that's, and I use that in argument pie. Dirty white boy chord. That's Todd Rundgren. And then uh, 12 Days of Christmas. 12 French hands, two turtle doves, you know. <laughs> so, the, wait, wait, what was, oh, the bass part, yeah. So, it's just, I'm not just doing like, you know, Judas Priest. You know, and I love Ian Hill, man. When I saw his priest, he, I mean, as much as I love Scott Travis, Ian Hill drove that band. So it was just such a serious groove doing that one note. But in my tune, I need to play like almost like a solo on the bass. You know? you know, I, I can't do it now, but it, it's, it's, uh, it, um, it's really like brain intensive because I'm, I have to follow the changes and, and and make it you know make it work with the song and so that was like you know my my, my that was uh, using up every little ounce of gray matter I have to get those bass parts worked out. Yeah, the bass. And really, they weren't worked out. That was the thing. It was it was it was all just like on the fly and and you know fortunately you can with Pro Tools you can fix a bad note once in a while. Yeah, I was gonna say the. A thunderous ovation shook the columns, which was the song that I played there, and Werewolves of Portland, in case I didn't mention the album title. But there are moments where the bass, it's basically those uh, those little interludes, like those two-bar interludes where the guitar and the bass kind of meet up with each other and the bass is real up high and it's like, and then it goes into another groove. Um, which it's not necessarily half time, but it's just, I call it empty time. Uh, the verses of that song where it's very wide open and there's actually points of silence. I always love that uh, in contrast to what happens in the other parts of the song. 
So I'm looking forward to hearing that, man. It's June 4th is the release date, is that right? And then you also have your your lessons that you teach, and that's sort of like a school, and it's one-on-one as well? The the way uh, Artist Works is, is a rock online guitar school, mm-hmm. and it, it works with something that they invented called video exchange, and it's it sounds well. Let me let me tell you what it is. It's uh, you, you know sign up and you have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything being mainly two things: the, the the online guitar course, which is you know tons and tons of videos that that sort of go in order, and uh, you know from beginner to to crazy. And then the uh, and then the, the video exchange archive, which is like over ten thousand videos that I've made. And the, the way a video exchange works is, is anybody who signed up can uh, can send in a video, and it really of anything. I mean, it, it, the, the school kind of encourages you to keep it connected to the course. But to tell you the truth, I don't care. I'm just wanting you to play you know, whatever whatever you got. And uh, and I listen, and you know you can ask questions. Videos you can do anything. You, know, you can ask a question or. You know, show me your gear, whatever it is, and uh, and then I, I do a video response video, and those two videos get paired together, you know, like the question and the answer, and put on the site, and everybody can watch that. So if when I when I do that lesson for that individual person, you know, everybody who's signed up can can watch my answer, and and so that way, you know, even though I'm teaching one person, everybody can learn from it, and uh, and, the, and those are all put in the archive. And actually, I would say like everything on the album, uh, my new album, that's that's not a melody, came from lessons that I gave at that school. <laughs> because what what happens is like I, I like to teach by with musical examples, and, and pretty much every one of my lessons starts with me counting to four and playing a, a short, you know, two or four bar riff, and that's the lesson. Then I talk about it and explain it. Um, but I, I I invent that riff to help the student. So if I if I see the student and they're and they're having they want to learn how to pick, I'll I'll invent a little picking riff. And so they, for example, one of one of the songs um, not re- not released. It's called Hello North Dakota, and it's got a line in it that goes it's an F sharp minor. And it goes like. Uh, something like that. I, I may have forgot it, but that that was a. That was a picking exercise that I, I showed. Or another one was I wanted to show a kid how to how to like move their wrist, and so the, another riff from that song is. Uh, where they've got to get like way under the guitar, and then come up over with a bend, so they've got to be able to do this big chip. But after I wrote that riff, I'm like, man, I'm using that for a song. That's a killer riff. So as I do those lessons, I catalog them on you know on my own computer, and and I, I have like a file like two thousand riffs or those solo ideas that that came from teaching, and they're they're all they all came from those moments of inspiration, and then that's that's what I like. So it's it's I use those to kind of fill in the blanks between the melodies that I write. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've one of the greatest joys I've taken from teaching, other than seeing the the light bulb turn on. You know, that's probably like the best moment, but then. Uh, just the selfishly the benefit that I get from teaching it's like I'm I'm learning while I teach uh, and you're always kind of exposing yourself to something new without necessarily meaning to do that and uh, it's it's one of the great joys of education um, so I have you just get to spend time with, with people who like music yeah what could be better so I have one final question for you Paul 
I want to loop in your guitar supervillain alter ego, Mecha Godzilla. All right. What do you believe about guitar that most guitar players might think is insane? <laughs> this could be a hard truth that guitar players need to hear or something you know that other players don't. What what is it? What do we get on your high horse, get on your soapbox, tell the world what they well, need to rant know. all day. Rant. Uh, this is your time. The, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that um and then, and I'm 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 speaking to my younger self. You know, I wish I wish someone had told me this earlier. Great. Is that um, rhythm? It doesn't mean it doesn't only mean accompaniment playing on the lower strings. So if it's, it, it, rhythm doesn't just mean that you're you're down here, you know, going. Yeah, that, that that's one meaning of rhythm. But rhythm it, it still is is a valid concept, even when you're playing on the higher strings and you're the soloist. So it doesn't when you're doing a solo, it doesn't suddenly mean that oh, I don't need that rhythm thing anymore. You know, it, it's it's still a really valuable tool, and it, it it still requires kind of a, a vocabulary. And the best way to build that is you 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 try different grooves because they're all they're all their own kind of their own world. To me, the, the main categories are like it, it's either a shuffle or it's not, and uh, and shuffles will will build character. And to me, they're fun. But uh, you know, if you if you pick a shuffle, I mean, it could be a slow one. You know, put a slowest shuffle would be like the zoo by the scorpions. You know, one, two, and three. That's like a really slow shuffle. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's one groove you could develop. So you, you, what you're trying to do is like, you know, you've got your notes. You know, and then you, you try to build phrases that, that have a, that is such a strong rhythm in them that, that a listener could deduce the groove, even with, if, even if they didn't hear the drummer. So uh, if you go, yeah. You know, you, you can tell that, that, that that's in that's inside of there. You're, you're you're communicating that, even with even with no no drums. And as a as a teenager, I would let the drummer do that. And over the top, I'm going. Yeah, and I, and the, I like that because it's it's full of energy. Yeah, and I, I I still like to have that in the toolbox, but it. Um, it's it's of limited use. That's you know, like you, using the power like, drill the, the entire the time. Then, you know, it's like you don't want the whole movie to be car chases. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, and it's funny that that um, analogy of being able to deduce the groove based on the solo. I've really only heard that melodically. Like you should be able to hear the chords without the chords behind you, as far as your melodic phrasing. Um, but that's really even healthier to to have that well, foundation. I'll give, you, I'll give you an exercise that I gave to myself and I've, I haven't heard anybody. I've given it to my students and some of them almost get it, 
but it's a, the, the exercise is to give yourself a really strict rhythmic structure. And for exercise purposes, you can't change it. You have to do the structure. And the structure is highway to hell, which starts on the end of three. You go one and two and three. And that's very syncopated. And so you, you get your foot stomping. And, you know, first of all, just play it like an octave higher. So, you, again, you're playing it as a solo, but you're keeping that rhythmic structure. The one and two and three. And, and then you have to internalize that rhythm and put in any notes you want, but don't change the rhythm. You can't add an extra note. You can't. You have to like one and two and three. And that that'll humble you. <laughs> it almost sounds like Angus's solo too. You know, maybe he was doing that without even realizing it. Yeah, but what happens is like be, because we have our licks, you know, you you start you go into it and you, and you want to finish your lick even though it doesn't fit the yeah, rhythm. So you yeah. know, and like, oh, but you know, <laughs> you don't need that many. All you need is that that that. And but but I've got more notes. It's like it doesn't matter. You, you have to you have to. And what it does, it, it helps you come up with endings. Because yeah. each of the each of those phrases has an ending, and endings are tricky because it, it's it, an, an ending means you're emphasizing something, and an emphasis is really scary because if you emphasize a, a weak note, it doesn't feel right. So it's um it it, it really helps in, in in figuring out what to emphasize, what not to emphasize. You you real quickly you, you get a sense of of like how, where the chord tones are, uh, how to land on them in a stylish way as opposed to sound like a robot. And that does like really help. The other one is, is uh, waiting for the bus. It's easy top song, which emphasizes the and of four. One and two and three and four. And, and you stomp that out. And when you play your solo, you, you, you always have to come around and like hit that and of four. So one and two and three and four. And then I, then I miss one. But when I miss one, I know I missed it. Mm, yeah. And that's the other thing is, is like, my job as a teacher is just basically just to be a, an educated set of ears. So, you know, I know when I miss it, but a lot of times the students, they don't know when they miss it. Yeah. So it's my job to go like, hey, you know, this is what you're listening for. You know, focus your ear on, on this on this beat. And rhythm is, you know, I think it's hard to learn because it's it's such, it's not a visual thing. You know, I mean, I don't I don't make anybody sight read. And I, I think I don't know if sight reading is really the, the, the way to go about it. But um, notes are easier to see. You know, and we're visual creatures. We, our eyes are our, our brain. As, as you know, devotes most of the space to our, our sight, and so, so you know you can see where it is. Oh, that's what it looks like. But how do you see the end of four? You know, it's, it's not. I mean, you can again. You can. There is notation, but 
that, to me, that's not the solution. It's, it's got to be something that you, you practice internalize. You know, you learn a bunch of songs that have the end of four, your highway star, one, two, and three, and four, and the same as Livewire by Motley Crue. And you, you get familiar with that accent, what it feels like, be able to stomp on the one, so you, you have a, a relationship. You, you got a rant out of me. Woohoo! I love it. That, that was a, a, hel- a healthy educational rant. It's perfect. And yeah, something you said kind of hit home with me, taking notes away from guitar players, like telling them they can't play. It's like, no, 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 I still have more. And it just reminded me of, I think Miles Davis said this. I think he said something along the lines of sometimes the best notes are the ones that you don't play. And that took me, I'm still trying to learn how to play the guitar, but like the, the leaving the notes on the table concept is just something that the, the sooner you can learn to practice doing that. And one of the hardest things people say, what's the hardest thing you know on guitar? And I'm like, well, I know how to practice. And, you know, there's a difference between sitting down and noodling and actually trying to work something out. And it doesn't have to be monotonous, but it does have to be focused, I think. Uh, but yeah, leaving notes on the table, I think, is is so healthy and, and good in any musical genre or any instance but especially guitar solos so like all that space it lets you kind of give you one more thing that's like great for ear training and and for playing too that is you know do blues and and pick a note and stay there until you can't stand it yeah and in 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 a a blues you can do that like you can you can play a blues and just play a is your solo you know you know you can do that the whole time but what, what you do is is you, you're listening and you start to crave another note and that's wonderful because when you crave it let yourself have it mm. but you but now you're playing from from what you're hearing in your head rather than what your fingers want to do um. so for, for example i'm, I'm going to pick the fifth instead of the roof if i go uh, let me set up the. I got to train you. I'll set up the five. Now I'll play the fifth. And I wanted to hear that. And I wanted to hear, like, I, I was, because I'm really trying to stand as much, and just thought I couldn't stand it anymore. I needed that. I needed it, because if, if I didn't go there, it would have been too much. I would have overdosed on that note. And you, you start to go, like, I need, I, I, I can't take this note anymore. It's driving me crazy. And then you ask yourself, well, what what else do I want? And you do it by ear. You do it by singing. And then you find it on the on the, on the guitar. And th- that's a great exercise. Rather than like, I'm just going to, you know, just sort of, uh, I've got this pattern. And I'm going to play through the pattern. It's like, you'll just end up meandering. But if you if you like, like I, I can't leave it until I hear, and I'm just craving something else. You know, I'm going to eat. I'm just going to eat curry until I can't stand it anymore. And then I'm, I've got to have a grapefruit. And, and then the grapefruit really has meaning. 
Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> that well, honestly, what you were describing there felt like I was on a diet, and that fifth was my diet. I'm just eating smoothies and kale, and then I resolved down to that third, and I'm just like, oh, there's the ice cream. But you can't have yeah. too much of the ice cream because then the ice cream's not that sweet anymore, and you get huge and fat. <laughs> yeah, the, the, you can start with the ice cream, just but after a while, you're like, Jesus, you know, I, I need an orange, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for for your time and and all the insight and education. This has been a great honor to uh, to chat with you. Uh, as we wind down the show, I'll look forward to. Uh, since you're on Guitar Villains, I'm I'm gonna look forward to what treacherous plots you devise next in your musical endeavors. Well, I've got I've got one more thing. When you do future interviews, here's the question that I want to ask. You want you to ask other people, if and that is if you're by yourself in your studio or your practice room, okay, and and you're playing, and then unexpectedly somebody walks in. What is it that you wish you were playing that they caught you playing, and you're kind of proud of it? Yep, that's what I was playing. Because that, that happened to me was my wife walked in and this is what I was playing. Or no. And I was so happy that she walked in and caught me doing that. I was like, you know, see, I'm I'm cool. Like that, that was, that, you know, if, I, if she walked in, I'm going... Like, like eh, you know, but but you know, I was I was, I was happy to be caught playing that lick. <laughs>